from Drop Biscuit Studios and AJ Benzie. Fame is a bitch. Hey everybody, AJ Benzie here with Fame is a Bitch. This is your free show for Monday, June 13th, 2022. It's a sexy show. Oh yeah, it's a sexy show because by the time you hear this, I will be landing in the sexy Big Easy. I will be in New Orleans and going back and forth from Baton Rouge to New Orleans for different things we have to do for the podcast now that we are hosted by dropbiscuit.com. I advise everybody listening to listen to the show through dropbiscuit.com because there are some enhancements we've made and we're going to keep making that are going to make this listening experience more pleasurable. And at the same time, I've got to slowly introduce myself to those wonderful folks down south who don't really know a lot about this Yankee from New York who moved to L.A. 27 years ago. Was it 27 years ago? No, 19, 1997. So what was that 24 years? 20, a quarter century ago, I came to L.A. from New York, and I can't wait to get the hell out of L.A., if I didn't have kids in L.A. who were finishing school, one just finished, one's got three more years to go, four more years to go, I'd be out of here on a jet plane and not caring when I come back again because L.A. is just not the city it used to be. Many places aren't what they used to be. But I did spend Thursday afternoon and evening at double graduation ceremonies. My son graduated middle school. My daughter graduated high school. They're a very big part of my life and a very big part of this show. You hear the names Roxy and Rocco mentioned quite a bit, as well as Tootsie, my two-year-old Shih Tzu that sits at my feet. So get used to that as we go along. But, you know, I'm at the, I'm at the, uh, the second culmination, my daughter Roxy's. And I always get a little jumpy and nervous when I'm recognized, um, not because I'm scared of anyone. In fact, I always tell my girlfriend, no one's going to hurt us because I don't look like prey, you know? I'm too big. She's 5'2", 103 pounds. In fact, she's even nervous about our spending our time in, in uh, New Orleans because she's reading about crime and some people who live down there are telling her, hey, be careful where you go and what time you go and be careful what you wear. You know, she has one of those bodies that's very inviting to people and she's tiny. So she gets that from time to time. But I said, you're going to be OK. You know, I grew up in New York. I worked and lived inside the city for 10 years in Manhattan, had a gun pointed at me once at a filling station and I didn't flinch. I was paying the guy for gas about two o'clock in the morning. And the girl I was dating kept flashing me the brights from, you know, from in the car. She was about 35 feet behind me. And I see the brights going off and I turn around and look at her and I couldn't really make out what she was trying to tell me. But it turned out there was a guy to my right who was coming at me with a gun. I looked the guy up and down. I said, hey, man, I ain't holding any money, pal. And the jewelry I'm wearing, I'm wearing silver jewelry. You want the jewelry? I don't think so. You want someone's money. So I'm not the guy. I just told the guy 20 bucks. I need 20 bucks on pump five. That's all I got on me. You, you don't need, you don't need, I have nothing you want. So find someone else to rob. <laughs> and he walked away. 
But I'm, you know, anyhow, look, I'm saying I don't feel scared in New Orleans, Louisiana. I had a trip there some years ago when I worked for the E! Entertainment Television Network. And it was a crazy time then. It was Mardi Gras. It was, I think, the Playboy Jazz Festival. And it was the television upfront meetings. The upfronts are when networks tell people what they have coming in the next season as far as television programming goes. And I had a, a, a talk show coming up and they were out there. So I was in the middle of this crazy town. Uh, I remember I just bought a really expensive pair of beautiful brown suede shoes and I took one step out of my hotel room and I saw what Bourbon Street looked like and I said, I can't wear these shoes. They'll be ruined in a in, in hundred feet. Went back upstairs and put on some... Uh, sneakers and found some solace in a strip club. I forget what it was called. Was it Stringfellows? No, I don't I don't know what you guys have there. I'll find out. But back in the day, this must be 20 years ago, I ended up hanging out with Michael Clark Duncan. And um, it was a great night. But boy, oh boy, does that place get crazy? I don't have to tell you. So anyhow, I'm online at my kid's graduation and I hear someone say hi to me. And it's an older woman, maybe in her mid-60s, maybe even 70. And I say hi back, but I know I don't know her. And she says, you don't know me, but I recognize your voice because I was on the phone. I recognize your voice from your podcast. I said, you listen to my podcast? She says, I listen to it all the time. I could, I, sometimes I just don't, I can't imagine some people listening to me. I don't put faces to them. You know, she says, I listen to it all the time. I don't always agree with you, but I listen because you cut right through the crap. I like that in a man. All right. That was very nice. And after the ceremony, one of Roxy's teachers gives her a big hug and says how proud he is of her. And very nice guy. He's wearing a straw hat and purple nail polish. Not sure why he's wearing the polish. I don't know. I don't think my daughter's school color is purple, but he clearly has a thing for nail polish. Look, this is a, a, a one of those schools um, like fame, you know, where the kids go for, for, for the arts, performing arts high school. Some of the teachers have a little bit of a, a little bit of flair to them, if you will. The kids do, that's for sure. Um, for, for graduation day, of course, there were a few kids with rainbow colored hair for Pride Month. I don't know. Maybe this, I think the school is purple. I think that's their color. But there's no teams. There's no football and basketball teams. So it's hard to tell. But nowadays, you know, anything about anyone's uh, gender, you just don't know the way men and women are expressing themselves. And by the way, if you hear my dog bark for a second, just understand this show is called Unfiltered because that's just what it is. And I'm in a motel right now and I'm right across from the ice machine. So if someone gets ice... Tootsie's going to bark. I'll pause the show and get back once I calm her down. But that's the kind of show this is at times. So the guy, the teacher says, oh, she was terrific. I love her. Loved having her. Then he says, she doesn't have a big mouth. I'll tell you that much. And I say, thank God, because her father does. That's the one thing I'm glad she didn't inherit. And he goes, that's why I said, I know I know you're a big mouth. I've been listening to you since the Howard Stern days. I still catch you on your show now. Once again, I got to stop and think. As I've said so many things that these last five years, I, you know, that can be very explosive and dangerous and, 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 and critical, especially about the whole gender debate. 
Well, however he identifies himself or refers to his gender, he didn't seem upset, and that's a good thing. You know, and, and, and so is the fact that Roxy's not going to be there anymore. But even my son Rocco heard that. He looked at me after the teacher said that, and he goes, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I said, I don't know. Now you're getting like me. It's a little, little discomforting because I tend to go after everyone and everything on these shows. Then Rocco goes to me. My history teacher told me she listens to your podcast, too. I said, oh, Christ, I hope that doesn't affect your grade. Because, I mean, you know, you just don't know where to step. There's landmines everywhere. But speaking of gender, have you seen the documentary that just came out, What is a Woman? I've seen parts of it, and it's excruciating to see people just sit there and not be able to say the simple, look, men have a penis and women have a vagina. It's infuriating that everyone is still so afraid to talk about it and by the way, despite this movie being the most watched at home documentary and having achieved a 97% fresh score from, from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes, not one single film critic has offered a review of this documentary from Matt Walsh. Meanwhile, viewers have submitted over 2,500 reviews and climbing for what is a woman. And to that I say, I can tell you, whichever male film critics are too afraid to comment on this film, they're not real men. They're pussies. They're scared. Real men say what they feel. And it's clear that female critics are afraid to comment because they risk the wrath of a lot of females coming for them. Everyone is afraid to get canceled. Not me. And I'm very cancelable. I say a lot more and go a whole lot deeper and harder on my Patreon show, by the way, because being behind a paywall, it kind of, you know, has its good things. There's a little security there. But to all you new listeners uh, hearing this podcast on dropbiscuit.com, I promise there will be shows you love and shows you don't agree with. And that's okay. We're allowed to disagree with each other on things and move past it. Remember those good old days? Arguing and then simply moving on? Well, you know, I don't see it that way. And you went on your way with a new conversation. Not canceling someone and demanding they lose their job and then leave their lives in shambles. That's where we're at. And I hate to say it, but it comes largely from the left. And this being Pride Month, a lot of my stories have to do with the queer community. You know, what they say and what they desire and what they demand these days. And some of it is insane bullshit. So just be prepared for those sorts of conversations on this show. I really don't care which way people swing. I don't care. I care when they make believe that you're the demon for not liking their way of life. Just live your life, man. Live your life quietly. I don't run around screaming, you've all got to be heterosexual. I don't do that. So don't do that if you're gay or, or, or bi or pan or omni or whatever the hell else they throw at you. And for you new listeners, I've been saying for years, I'm on the air five years now. I've been saying for years that they're going to add the P to the LGBTQIA+. The plus sign is there because they're going to add new letters. And the biggest letter they're going to add is P for pedophilia. And it's happening. They've already started to tell you that it's acceptable and it's an illness. 
It's something people can't control. And we need to have, you know, compassion. Okay, you watch. LGBTQIA+. That plus means there's a lot more coming. I refer to that as the alphabet army. Or rather than use all the goddamn letters to satisfy that many people, I just say the queer community. Queer is a word you can use. It's not something that's illegal. So if you hear that word for me, queer, it's an all-encompassing word that means the LGBTQIA and counting and climbing and growing community. Everybody's different. The other day, we had the actor Eric Dane. Remember the former guy, uh, they called him Mick Steamy on Grey's Anatomy? Now, on this new show on HBO, Euphoria, he plays a closeted gay man. Now, Euphoria is a wildly popular show. I bet your teenagers know about it. Because it's all about drugs and sex and suicide and revenge porn and masturbation and any and all vices you wouldn't want your kids to be learning about or having ha having to be glorified. But HBO, HBO is really putting the pedal to the metal here on this one. Even behind the scenes, the HBO show was rumored to have lots of drama revolving around the nudity required of some of the actors. And just the generally hectic work environment. So Eric Dane plays this father, a very embattled dad of one of the teenagers on the show. And he said in an interview recently that he hopes his portrayal of the abusive and closeted Cal Jacobs, that's his character, can have a positive effect on members of the LGBTQ plus community. And I say, who cares? And when you hear about how he figures in the plot, You'd have to scratch your head how his portrayal can have any kind of positive effect on members of the Alphabet Army. When we're first introduced to Eric's character, look, this might be a spoiler alert, but you got to catch up. The show's been on for two and a half seasons. In season one, Cal, he had rough sex with one of his son's high school classmates, and he secretly filmed it, and then he has to spend much of the second season trying to get the footage back after it was taken. And between this dilemma and the revelation that he's gay, despite this facade that he has of a heteronormative family and life, of course he spirals out of control and his inner turmoil and fear of being found out consumes him. And the show helps viewers better understand Cal's character by flashing back to this gay relationship he had in high school. One episode opens up with flashbacks of Cal's high school years and this budding romance he had with his best friend, Derek. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And that's cut short by the news that Cal's girlfriend, who becomes his wife, is pregnant. And Eric says, it was helpful to see the chemistry that young Cal and Derek had. It was really a heartbreaking moment for them. And it's equally as heartbreaking when Cal returns to the bar and is not accepted by the community. He's a man without a nation. He's no longer accepted by the straight community and not accepted by the gay community. So Cal spends a lot of the second season of Euphoria trying to figure out where he belongs before finally coming clean to his family. So Dane refers to the bender that Cal embarks on when he takes a trip down memory lane and he revisits the old bar where he and, he and Derek shared one kiss before a life of heteronormativity was thrust upon him. And after being kicked out for belligerence, he heads home where he pees in his foyer. Penis is still hanging out of his pants and he delivers this shocking monologue to his family in which he comes out of the closet and unearths this secret his family has been hiding. None of this scenario sounds like it would be helpful to members of the LGBTQ plus community on its surface, unless they're just freaky people who like to piss on their floors. But Eric has explained that despite the fact that he isn't a member of the community, he can relate with the emotions. So showing those feelings behind the struggle was meaningful to him and could help others facing the same battle. He said, I've had struggles in the past that invited me to lead a life of secrecy. I accepted the invitation wholeheartedly. While the circumstances specifically might not be the same, the feelings certainly are. I'm acutely aware that I'm a straight actor playing a gay character. The gay community has been super supportive. I think I've lent them a voice in portraying this character, and I hope that everything I do is sincere because I wouldn't want to misrepresent something that's so important. It's not, it's not so important. It's just another facet of people is so important. Being gay now is nothing. It's so easy to come out and be gay. It's not 1960 anymore. But you know what? I watch these shows. Why can't... LGBT or people of color characters, why can't they just be allowed to exist without A, it being the focus, the core focus of their identity, or B, it being a source of trauma? Every single representation in media has to include a heaping helping of the people going through shit, just trying to survive, when most of us turn to entertainment to just get away from it all. We want to sit down and not have to think. But then again, I think I know the answer. Everyone loves a victim nowadays. Everyone wants to be a victim now. There's big money in being a victim. Not so much a hero anymore. Just ask the leaders of Black Lives Matter. If you can't find them at their primary office and house, you know, feel free to knock on the doors of the other five multi-million dollar homes they bought with all the money America's woke corporations so willingly sent them. And by the way, anything I see Eric Dane in makes it impossible not to remember that time several years ago that he and his wife had a, uh, a druggy and boozy threesome with a former uh, 
teenage Miss America, Carrie Ann Peniche. Remember that? Remember that story? That was a doozy. And the, the, the uh, dethroned Miss United States teen freely admitted to once being in the sex for hire business. Oh, it was quite a tape. Peniche said that at one point she hooked up with guys with hookers when she was a roommate with the, with the Mindy McCready on VH1 Celebrity Rehab Show. She admitted to being a madam, in fact. And Eric Dane and his wife, Rebecca Gayhart, who, by the way, once killed a teenager in an auto accident and got slapped on the wrist with three years probation, they loved Carrie Ann Peniche's services. They loved the services she offered. You got to look. There's a four-minute video out there. It was 12 minutes. It got shaved down to four. There's a video out there of Eric, Rebecca, and Carrie Ann hanging out naked and maybe, you know, well, not maybe. They were doing drugs in a hot tub. It's a very weird video. And in this video, we see the inebriated threesome. And at one point, Rebecca says uh, she has to lay down because she's so high. And she's laying there nude in the... Studio City, California apartment building that Carrie Ann Peniche lived in at the time. And then they're giggling and discussing their porn names. And Eric Dane says, mine's going to be Tough Heedman. That's his favorite champion bull rider. Then they move to the bathroom where the two girls take off their clothes and get into a jacuzzi while Eric Dane takes over the camera duties. You know, the line between Hollywood success and failure is razor thin. That's why this show is called Fame is a Bitch. This couple, Eric and Rebecca, married back in 2004. And they were not at the pinnacle of the Hollywood talent heap back then. Rebecca Gayhart was famous for being in the Noxzema commercial back in the late 90s. She did some work. She got work here and there. But, you know, not where they should have been, but... I'm sure in their teenage years, they wanted that kind of success. Dane moved to L.A. in his teens. He got bit parts in shows like Saved by the Bell and the Wonder Years. He palled around in the Hollywood club scene. He once dated Lara Flynn Boyle. But then again, everybody did from Jack Nicholson to David Spade. You know that story, right? David Spade is, David Spade is dating um, Lara Flynn Boyle and finds out he's not dating him when Jack Nicholson, there's a car accident, and in the car was Lara Flynn Boyle, and that's when David Spade found out, I guess I'm not dating her alone. I guess uh, she's dating other people. It's a big story out here. Like I said, Gayhart got a big break with a Nagazima ad, and aside from killing a kid crossing the street, she's made a career of little bits and rolls here and there in TV and movies, and I don't know. I, I can sort of imagine her falling into drugs to dull the pain of where she's at and where she wanted to be at. But Peniche had a very similar future in mind when she was crowned Miss Teen USA back in 2002, 20 years ago, but it wasn't meant to be. She was stripped of her crown for posing in Playboy, I think in 2004. She tried to leverage that controversy into a career and knocked around on the Hollywood Z-list for a while she even got engaged to the Backstreet Boy, Aaron Carter, for a minute and a half. And there were a handful of TV and film roles, but lately, well, not lately, but back in the day, she ended up working as a madam, working the Hollywood club scene as, as a woman named Tristan Bailey. 
and her M.O. was when horny guys at clubs would hit on her, she'd tell them she was seeing somebody, but she could hook them up with someone who knew some really good-looking chicks for hire. And the dudes would then be redirected back to her service, and she'd occasionally turn a trick herself here and there. I don't know if you're a fan of the Dr. Drew Pinsky show, Celebrity Rehab, but not too long ago, she was on that show where she was being treated for, what else, sex addiction. And there were these back-and-forth accusations that she punched out a cameraman, and she entered unsavory drug dealer types at the Sun Valley Sober House. She stole money and personal belongings from her roommate, Mindy McCready, who was off her rocker back then on drugs. And at some point, the Hollywood Vice Squad got a hold of Peniche's client list and that video with Eric Dane and Rebecca Gayhart, which Peniche herself had been showing around to friends. The most damning part of the segment was Peniche lying topless in bed, reading off a credit card into the phone. But here's a fun fact. You know, this isn't the first time Gayhart was seen naked and high in a hot tub. Back in 2003, the National Enquirer printed a photo of herself with an unidentified woman in a bathtub with a crack pipe. As Eric Dane commented while his wife gets naked with another woman, he says to Peniche, who was facing a criminal investigation back then, you're like a really good hang. I see you on the street tomorrow. You're one of Rebecca's friends. You're a really good hang. Sick fucking people. So like I said, I just watched that four-minute version not too long ago, and I've come away with some general impressions. First, Eric Dane is a pimp, was a pimp. He's lounging around naked with his wife and and, and the Hollywood, uh, well, let's call her a maybe madam. He's totally nonchalant about the whole thing, especially considering his wife is filming him. And he seems way more interested in Carrie Ann Peniche than Rebecca Gayhart, his wife. And to me, that was the start of like, uh, this this couple can't last. Once you let in a former Miss Teen who's dabbling in being a madam, your marriage is going to be, is going to be, is going to end. It, 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 like you're, you're trying anything to make it work. And normally that means it's going to end momentarily. You can't be more interested in the chick your wife brings in than your wife. That, that can't happen. I understand fantasy talk. I, I, I know that. I've been around that in my life. But once it's over, you all laugh and go, that would never happen, but it was a fun conversation to have. You know. But to actually do it and have a marriage succeed, I think that's very rare. And not for nothing, Rebecca seemed more interested in Carrie Ann than she did in her husband. I think, like, like I said, my favorite part is when he just says to her, you're, you're like a good hang. I have to wonder if they wanted that to get out to boost their careers. You know, a lot of people used to say Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee's tape was for them to get a career boost. Then we found out it wasn't the case at all. It was stolen by a, by a, a worker at Tommy's house because Tommy wasn't paying him on time to do all this grand work at his mansion. So the guy said, fuck you, I'll take this sex tape. And as a result, made a fortune. It it kind of helped them. It helped Tommy more than Pam. Tommy's career got better. Pam was maligned for a while. That's kind of unfair, if you ask me, that the man should get work and, and, and kind of be exalted. Well, it helps if your dick is 10 and a half inches long. But Pamela, who was the hottest woman in the world, 
was not being hired for a while for things. She was being shunned because of that sex tape. And she performed brilliantly in the sex tape. Even kept her sunglasses on. But Rebecca Gayhart is best known for killing that teenager. I can't really remember a single movie or TV show she was on. But all this hijinks is usually just a precursor to breaking up, and that's exactly what happened. They went on to have two daughters together, Billy and Georgia. After 14 years of marriage, Rebecca Gayhart filed for divorce. And uh, I think it happened in 2018. She cited irreconcilable differences. She claimed there was no hope for reconciliation. After 14 years together, we've decided that ending our marriage is just the best decision for our family. We will continue our friendship and work as a team to co-parent our two beautiful girls as they are the most important thing in the world to us. And Eric Dade agree, agreed to pay a monthly spousal support and share custody of their kids. Not so surprisingly, the couple has never clarified what contributed to their marriage troubles, but there's been some speculation. I think that sex tape had something to do with it. Also, Eric Dane eventually sought treatment for an addiction to painkillers in 2011. But it's been a while since Rebecca Gayhart filed for divorce and the split still wasn't finalized for a long time. In fact, the court warned them in 2019 if they didn't move forward, their case would be dismissed. But back in 2020, Paparazzi caught them at a grocery store together. So who the who the hell knows? And the, the, the sadder thing is nobody cares. It is worth noting that Eric Dane has expressed remorse for the things he's done wrong in his marriage. He told people in 2020, we've all made mistakes. My one regret is that I got the person I love most wrapped up in all that. Rebecca. He also expressed a lot of gratitude for his family, particularly because his own father died when he was just seven years old. I never had a family. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now I do. And I know I'm a very lucky guy. Like I said, before he was at Rebecca Gayhart, he was linked to Lara Flynn Boyle and Alyssa Milano, who is not a friend of this show nor of mine. We, oh, she hates me. I can't stand her liberal bent. But she went on Twitter once and called me the worst person in the world. <laughs> Well, listen, I just think Alyssa Milano and her husband are very unhappy as well. She's married to a big talent agent named David Bulliari. And I, I can't believe that he's happy with the way she opens her mouth all around town and does all these things to solve all these problems in America. She's the loudest mouth out there when it comes to abortion or homelessness, everything. Big old liberal, gets an audience with Nancy Pelosi, gets an audience with Joe Biden. I don't know what she is accomplishing, but she just loves to be seen and heard. As for Carrie Ann Paniche, if anybody cares, like I said, back in 2006, she was uh, Aaron Carter. She was with Aaron Carter. Aaron Carter was 18 years old, and he proposed to her while they were on stage in Las Vegas. They knew each other for five days. 
And it's even weirder because Carrie Ann had previously dated his older brother, Nick, and then she agreed to marry Aaron. And of course, six days later, when the high went away and the drugs ran out, the engagement was broken. She's still a train wreck. She has described herself as having hundreds of lovers, but she's always unable to connect with anyone in any kind of relationship, man or, or, or woman. If you remember back in Celebrity Rehab, the way she acted, my God, punching people, stealing money, they kicked her out, they brought her back. She was involuntarily discharged for failing to comply with the program's guidelines. She refused Dr. Drew's offer of an alternative program at a nearby psychiatric hospital. Then as she was being evicted from her home, she made suicidal gestures, became abusive toward the show's production staff, threw water, threw a bottle of water at people, punched a cameraman in the eye. And then, of course, Dr. Drew went to her house and she was using, she was shown returning to the Pasadena recovery unit at the end of that season's fourth episode, but she had smuggled in crystal meth. Some people you just can't help. They brought her back again, hoping she could get her shit straight. And they asked the people who were being treated there, would you mind if she comes back? Everybody said no, except for Tom Sizemore. Of course, he's a horned dog and was probably, you know, looking to get laid and enjoy some crystal meth with her. Even Heidi Fleiss didn't want her around. And if Heidi Fleiss doesn't want you around, oh boy, you, you, you're doing something wrong. Believe it or not, she got married. She married an investment builder named Justin Williams in February of 2011. They got two kids together, but... Surprised, their marriage is strained. The husband has uh, made allegations of infidelity against her and of child abuse, saying a hair follicle test showed she'd exposed their 10-month-old son to crystal methamphetamine. All this sex and drugs, it's everywhere in Hollywood and quite possibly everywhere else, maybe in your town too. And speaking of sex, that brings me to the golden anniversary of sorts. This week, yesterday, made it 50 years since the porn movie Deep Throat premiered in New York. The very best porn movie ever made. That was what Al Goldstein, the publisher of Screw Magazine, said about Deep Throat. Basically, this is a film that ushered in mainstream porn 50 years ago. It's only 61 minutes long. Came out June 2nd, 19, June 12th, 1972. Not critical acclaim, but boy, were there lines around the block. There was obscenity trials. There was even a brief porno chic movement. And let's not forget, they called the Watergate guy Deep Throat, the tipster. So this movie really had a big impression on our culture. And if you don't know or if you forgot, the film starred Linda Lovelace as a sexually unfulfilled woman who only wants, quote, bombs going off in bed. And she visits this eccentric therapist played by the great Harry Reams, who when I was a kid was on every porno. You had to take this channel called Escapade back in the day. And um, we, we didn't subscribe to it. My mother didn't want that in the house, but there was a time where if you took the channel, the dial on the box that came from HBO, if you turned it and it went, and you, you ever so slightly turned it and it stuck in between the channels, if I'm not mistaken, it was between channel 25 and 26. 
There was a show called Electric Blue. This beautiful blonde girl with big lips would say Electric Blue. And you knew there was going to be a porn. And no one had fake boobs back then. Everything was real. And if you just got your dial in the middle, you could see porn. And I'm 12 and 13, 14 years old. My parents were up in bed. I couldn't believe my eyes. Harry Reams was in everything. But Deep Throat, well, actually, he, she goes to visit Harry Reams as this eccentric uh, psychiatrist, a therapist, and he tells her that, look, the reason why you can't be, uh, you can't come to any kind of uh, climax with sex is because your clitoris is actually in your throat, not in your vagina. But it's a very vanilla, it's almost wholesome. It's very naive compared to the deviant things you can find with two clicks on an iPhone today. My God, have you seen Brazilian fart porn or people who have sex with their cars or furniture or, or, or furry animals? It's out there, guys. It's a few clicks away. You go to Pornhub.com. You can click on, you can ask for anything and someone's doing it. It's gross. It, it really is gross. It's amazing it's out there. But you can say, I want to see two people smoking crack having sex. It, there's a video of it. It's unbelievable. But getting back to Deep Throat, 50 years. Some people claim that film, it only cost, I think, $25,000 to make. And it was funded by the mafia. It grossed, apparently, allegedly, it grossed $600 million. It's an impossible figure because the film only played in a few theaters and its release was before the era of the VHS Betamax time. But it was a watershed moment in pop culture. It was the acceptance of very adult entertainment by the masses. I mean, Jackie Onassis saw a screening. It was date night, Frank Sinatra went. It was like a thing, let's go see Deep Throat. It's not, it, it's a difficult movie to watch in 2022. It's not on any streaming service. You can find the sequel inside Deep Throat, and there's a biopic, Lovelace, on several channels. But if you go uh, on Amazon and look to buy a DVD, they're very expensive and always very low in stock. Turner Classic Movies reviewed it and reduced the flick to a three-sentence synopsis it goes like this. Uh, tell me if this turns you on. A sexually frustrated woman learns from a doctor that she has an auto uh, anatomical defect that requires her to have oral sex in order to have an orgasm. Grateful for the doctor's help, she becomes infatuated with him and asks him to marry her. Instead, he gives her a job as a sex therapist, practicing a technique known as deep throat. No one had heard that term before. And the reason for his absence might be that the film's star... Linda Borman, under the name Linda Lovelace at the time, she eventually was so upset she made this movie, she disowned her participation in the movie. Then she, then she joined an anti-pornography movement and testified before the anti-obscenity Mies Commission that virtually every time someone watches that movie, they're watching me being raped, she said. And she claimed she'd been forced to do the film and other porn loops at gunpoint. I wouldn't doubt it since the mafia was very involved in porn back then. Also, her salary was 1250 bucks. It's no wonder she died in a car accident in 2005. I recently saw Deep Throat, not maybe four or five years ago. 
from beginning to end. And, um, you know, look, it's, it's, <laughs> it's corny, it's silly, it's not sexy in any way, but it's a very short and it's kind of a slow film. It's got a four minute introduction that simply has Linda Lovelace getting into a car and driving around Miami while the credits roll and some of this easy listening porno funk music plays in the background. That wastes a lot of time. I don't know. I mean, it's not something I would suggest anybody see. But she really, you know, it really changed the whole landscape of porn. Because it's kind of a comedy, the film, too. Harry Reams is funny, or back then it was considered funny, the kind of stuff he says, you know. And and, and the sex that you see, it's not just blowjobs. There's penetration, there's close-ups. But, uh, by my God, it's like, it's like another culture completely. The shapes and the body hair of both the men and women are also so different. But I got to say, refreshingly honest. You watch porn now, everybody's shaved of every hair in their body everywhere. Most women have fake breasts, fake lips. You don't see that back in the 70s. What you got was really the woman you were looking at. I watched porn as a kid, as a teenager. We snuck into a porn theater in my uh, one town away called The Regent. And uh, it was like a buck to get in, I think. And we used to slip the doorman five bucks because we were only 16 years old. We'd pull our money and get in and sit in this dark theater with like maybe seven people in it. I don't know how the hell those theaters made money to survive, but they were always there. Smoky, didn't smell right. Smell of Clorox a lot because there was a lot of cleaning up going on. My God, the stuff we could have caught back then by putting your hand on a seat or the seat back in front of you makes me sick. But it was a very different time. And I, 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 I remember my family talking about it. I remember it being a discussion around the table. Have you seen Deep Throat? Have you heard about Deep Throat? And to be honest, if you watch Deep Throat now, it's kind of a boring thing to do. But it still has a legacy worth talking about. There's a guy named Joe Briggs who wrote in the obituary for Linda Lovelace in 2005, Deep Throat, strange as it may seem, changed America's sexual attitudes more than anything since the first Kinsey report in 1948. It altered the lives of everyone associated with it. It supercharged the feminist movement. It gave the mafia its most lucrative business since prohibition and it changed the nation's views of obscenity forever. It's true. I mean, 50 years ago, this was a simple pornographic movie about, you know, I don't want to get too gross here, but coming, and it just happened to mark a big cultural shift. Doesn't mean it was smart or good or better than any, or better than any other pornographic material of its time, but it was the first porn movie to see with a date and there were couples in the audiences on Sunday afternoons going to see this on a date now I ask you has that happened since maybe there are couples well obviously there are couples now laying back on their tablets or iPhones watching porn of course I'm sure hotels still make a handsome living with people wanting to watch porn at night 
go into the selective channels, the adult channels. So when you read about or listen to stories about Eric Dane and Rebecca Gayhart and Carrie Ann Peniche, all in a hot tub, smoking crack and having sex and what have you, it doesn't seem too crazy that 50 years ago, there was something going on that was much more risque and much more ahead of its time than what the three of them did in the jacuzzi with a former Miss Teen USA. I don't know. I think there's some kind of interesting linkage there between the two. But we'll try to solve that dilemma another time. I've got a podcast to do. I've got to do Cato Kalin's podcast. Uh, I'll let you know when that airs. Cato's a, a good buddy of mine. I've always liked him since I first saw him at the OJ trial. I found him to be a very magnetic personality. He's a very funny guy. And I always maintain to this day, if he wasn't wrapped up in that whole O.J. Simpson, Nicole Brown thing, I guarantee you that Cato Kalin would have been on a sitcom or two by now and be making tons of money in syndication. But it really was a changing point in his life. And I always get a kick out of talking to him and spending time with him. So in the next half hour or so, I'm going to be on the air with him and we're going to have our fun. But that's it for today, guys. That was your free show for Monday, June 13th, 2022. By all means, if you want deeper stories, more exclusives, and me being a lot more personal, go to patreon.com slash fame as a bitch in here. You know, this story, I could have very easily simply pivoted into the one time I was involved in a foursome. Wasn't something I enjoyed at all. But I saved that for the people who pay to hear those stories. So if you want to hear that stuff, not necessarily the sexual stuff about me, but just in general, more personal things and more exclusive breaking stories, go to patreon.com slash fame is a bitch. I'm AJ Benza, and that was your show. Hope you have a good Monday. Talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Fame is a Bitch is an A.J. Benza Drop Biscuit Studios production featuring the endless wisdom, insightful commentary, and sometimes fucked up perspective of A.J. Benza. Executive producer, Mike Agavino. 